Koinonia, Christian Fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is community. I'm Tom Brown, and your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams, and with me in the studio is Don Wilson. Don is a friend and pastor of CCV, known throughout the valley and around the world. And Don, it's an honor and a privilege for me to have you with us today. Thank you, Mark. I'm honored to be here. So for those who might not know, tell us CCV, multiple campuses. It's grown into one of the biggest churches in the whole western United States. Uh, basically, uh, we just had our 35th anniversary a week ago. Uh, we started in my house with four couples uh, 35 years ago and went uh, 15 years without property, kind of moving to a lot of different yeah. places, finally bought a campus. Now we run about 27,000 on a weekend on seven locations. Congratulations. Thank you. We want to hear the story up close and personal. Take us back. Where'd you grow up, and when did you first start following Jesus? Uh, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, and uh, we milked cows every night and morning. So I learned to They milk. don't take a day off, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> and I, I joke, people ask me, Don, you having a good day? And I said, my dad never asked me if I had a good day. <laughs> he just said, did you get, get it in done? the barn. Did you, did you get it done? So I grew up there. Uh, my family, a little country church, about 100 people. And uh, my mom and dad were dynamic leaders. My mother played the piano for 50-some years. My dad was an elder and a leader and uh, just a godly man. He has seven grandkids in full-time ministry. Wow, that's wonderful. And so great, great heritage. So I grew up knowing about the Lord, but uh, when I was about nine years of age, I made my own decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Then I, my, my family was really phenomenal in sports. There was four boys and a girl. My oldest brother drowned when he was 18, and that was a traumatic time in our family's life. Yeah. But, um, I had a chance to play college football, and I turned down a scholarship when I felt God called me into the ministry the summer after my senior year in high school. And so from that, I went and played college basketball and coached a little bit. Uh, came to Phoenix in 1975. 1975. What brought you to Phoenix? Um, I was uh, the first Christian church uh, on 7th Avenue in Glendale. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking for a youth pastor, and I was really fulfilled what I was doing, coaching and, and working at the Christian college. But I said, I'm, uh, I'm coming out to visit. I'll stop and talk to you. Yeah. And there, those palm trees on on uh, 7th Avenue in Glendale. I you got to you. Huh? Yeah, I thought, Lord, I, I'll do anything you want. Call me to Hawaii or Phoenix. And, <laughs> and, and ended up, but uh, that was that's where the journey all started in my ministry in, in Arizona. So you, you were a youth pastor, and, and, and where, how did the desire to plant a church start growing in your heart? Um, I... Uh, I was uh, a youth pastor there at First Christian, and then I went to a church, Northwest Christian Church, great small church, meeting in a double-wide trailer, about 200 people on three acres. And we grew to 700 in three years and just ran out of space. And so the leaders prayed about it and said, uh, what do you think we should do? And one of the options was start a new church. And I said, I'll do it. I wasn't too smart. I said, they said, how much money do you want? I said, nothing. If God's in it, I'll do it. And I went home and told my wife. (laughs) (laughs) She wasn't all that happy with that, huh? That's one of the great things. Behind any successful pastor is a great pastor's wife. And she believed in it, and she said, honey, we'll do whatever it takes. And so four families met in my living room uh, with no promise of money or anything and said, let's try and have an impact on this city. And that's really kind of how it began. And where'd you guys start? Well, our first service, believe it or not, was in a movie theater at Metro Center. Really? Yeah. And that was 1979? 82. 82. 82. 
82. And so tell us the story. How did it go? I mean, it's not that easy doing children's ministry, is it, in a movie theater? Well, that's that was one of the mistakes that we made. We had our children in about a mile away in a school. Uh-huh. And so most parents don't want to leave their kids a mile away. Right, so we right. had to make some adjustments after we started in school. My guest is Don Wilson. We're here in the history of CCV, one of the great churches in all of the United States. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Stream. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Coinini. I'm Mark Buckley. My guest is Don Wilson. Don's telling us the story of CCV. You started at Metro Center in a movie theater with kids a mile away, and that's like dragging an anchor, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And to tell you how brilliant we were, then we went to Choya School, which had no air conditioning. Oh, great. And in the, <laughs> uh, so the kids were closer, but everybody was dying. Uh, and then we moved from there to a strip mall on 27th uh, Avenue. Now, how long were you in Troy School? A couple years. A couple of years with no air conditioning. Correct. Yeah. Because, you know, when, when you don't have a lot of money and you uh, just trust God and try anything, you, you'll, you'll do without. Yeah. In yeah. fact, uh, in the first five years of our church, we started two, two churches. But pe- most people don't know, we were one Sunday's offering away from closing the doors the first yeah. five years. Because yeah. we were just running that tight on faith every week. Yeah. Well, and, and it takes that kind of um, grace, doesn't it, and to do well? Because partly you were putting money into people and into programs too, right? You weren't just putting it into a bank account because you have to be willing to live on what God gives you. Yeah, and um, and the st- all the staff got paid, but during those early years, there were times my wife and I didn't get paid. Really? But, but again— you just trust God, and God's been God's yeah. been so good and so faithful. And I think, I think, I think, uh, really living by faith is easier to preach than it is to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a great experience for us. Taught us to totally depend upon Him. So um, the church is growing a little bit at a time during each of these moves. And and one of the things that church planners might not really understand is how much work it is just literally setting up a school because it has to be done right and you have to get the classrooms back in the same shape or else you're going to have teachers mad and a principal mad. Then you're going to be on the streets if you're not careful. You're right. In fact, the person that you have to be the nicest to is the school janitor mm-hmm. because he's the one. That, your buddy, man. Yeah, he will, if he didn't like it, he won't let you in. And so you have to real be, but you have to go above and beyond to put mm-hmm. it back even as the same or nicer than you found right. it right. because you're basically a, a tenant from them. Mm-hmm. But it's a way to show a good Christian witness as well. So we, we had about uh, 15 years there, what I call portable church. Mm-hmm. We went to the castle. And, you know, everybody thinks when you grow a church, you have great things. The castle um, of 35 years of the history of our church, we've had 32 years of growth. Three years in the castle, it plateaued. We we faced a lot of challenges. Uh, what was it like there? It was right uh, on 19th Avenue. Yeah. A lot of people have driven by it over the years. Well, we moved in the first week and had a record attendance. And then the city closed us down because we didn't have the right fabric or the right uh, 
components in the stage. So we had to go outside in the parking lot for a few weeks with a tent, which is a momentum killer. Uh, (laughs) Then while I was there, we had a a counseling pastor that had an affair, and that was very difficult. Had to deal with. That's like rolling a grenade down the aisle, isn't it? Yeah. And then probably one of the toughest things that's ever happened to me in my ministry, I had four staff uh, turn on me and mate false accusations, and we had to have a four-hour four, four hour congregational meeting, and everything was fine after that, but that, that uh, Takes t- a toll, huh? took a lot of steam out of me. Thank yeah. goodness I was a farm boy and had to milk cows whether I wanted to or not. Yeah. So for six months, I just lost my joy of um, mm-hmm. doing ministry, but I had to get up and preach. Right. But God restored uh, that joy after a few months. So, Don, I've always thought that one of your greatest gifts is leadership. I want, I want you to talk to people about leadership. You don't build a church of over 20,000 people unless you've got a real leadership gift. What, what are some of the things that you would tell young leaders that they're going to need to do to develop their leadership gift? Well, I think um, you got every, every great leader, in my opinion, first of all, was a follower. And so um, I was raised by a dad who was godly, but he, he was authoritative. He was in charge, and he taught me how to, how to follow. Uh, 4-H was a very defining thing in my life as I grew up. It taught me leadership. Uh, I've read a lot of books. I've watched a lot of people, but I've always tried to um, find mentors, somebody older than me that I thought was uh, a good model of leadership. I think the struggle today is that most people think leadership is power and it's really servanthood. It, yeah. it really is. And uh, uh, I've had the opportunity to help train with Equip, which is a John Maxwell organization literally around the world. And what I've found is most most churches' leadership style imitates the political style of that country. Mm-hmm. So in Latin America, Africa, you see a lot of uh, dic- dictators. <laughs> yeah. Yes, dictator leadership. And so when you go there and you talk about servant leadership, that's almost foreign to them. And yet if you read the Bible— that was that's Jesus. He was a servant leader, and I think in America, if we're not careful as a in, as a pastor, even you start out as a servant, but as your church grows, it's so easy to switch over to being a celebrity, and that'll get you in trouble every time. Yeah. yeah. Who are some of the mentors that have really had an impact in your life? Uh, definitely, my father was first. Uh, secondly, there was a gentleman in a church, a Southeast Christian church in Louisville, Kentucky, named Bob Russell, mm-hmm. that was always at a, a stage ahead of me. And uh, in size. And so I thought, why should I make the mistakes? Let me learn from somebody else. And then another person that's been a, a good friend the last few years that God brought in my life was John Maxwell. Served on his board and spent a lot of time with John getting mentoring in the whole idea of leadership. So those would be probably uh, three very influential people in leadership for me. One of the things I always liked that John Maxwell said years ago was, I think he called him Claude, you know. You got Claude on your board. You might as well go run your ideas by him one-on-one before you bring it to the whole board because how Claude thinks is how the board's going to probably go. What are some of the things John has said to you that have really stuck with you? Well, I think uh, one of the things that he said is everything rises and falls on leadership, mm-hmm. and I think I think that that is true. Uh, but, but again, I think it's just the idea of—, of Every level of leadership you, you, you go to, I have to change my style of being a leader. I think one of the reasons churches stop growing, it's not because they don't love God and they're not preaching the Bible. It's that the pastor has to change his leadership style at different levels, and, and so does the leadership of the church. And that really means sometimes that you, 
at every level you grow, you got to give more and more of the ministry away. If you don't, you become the bottleneck. So one of the keys is maximize your strengths, but hire people that can work on your weaknesses and release ministry to them. And you've made some good hires, and you've probably made some hires that you wish you had investigated a little more. Talk to us about raising a staff. I um, I think uh, one of my problems early on, and probably still is, uh, I'm really a coach almost more than a pastor. I coach college basketball. I think more like a coach of putting a team together. And one of the struggles of being a pastor is we believe that God can change anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, he can, but a lot of staff you hire, <laughs> you like about two things, and you say, you know what, if we pray and work with this person, they can, they can learn the other things. Mm-hmm. I had to learn the hard way that most of them can't. Uh, and the, really the person that's been the best for me hiring is my wife. She has incredible discernment. She knows me better than anybody. And I had to learn after I made some mistakes that I would get her more involved in the leadership, I mean, in the hiring process. Let her a, talk to the people. And, and let her talk to me mm-hmm. afterwards. And so what I found was interview a couple. Don't just interview the, the lady by herself or the guy. Interview mm-hmm. the couple, and we'll go out and eat with them. And on the way home, I'd ask my wife her advice, and I found out that God had blessed her with great discernment, and she could sometimes make a lot better choices than I could. That's neat. That's really neat. Um, so coaches, who are some of the coaches you admire? Oh, John Wooden, without a doubt. Uh, I've read a lot of his books, and when I was young and coaching, uh, I tried to soak up almost everything I could from him. They they won, what, eight consecutive NCAA titles, and um, he didn't call timeouts. Talk to us about John Wooden a little bit. Well, what's interesting to me with John Wooden, uh, you watch coaches today. Of course, a lot of them are coaching players that are there for one year in college, and they're gone. Yeah. But I'm amazed at how the coaches stand up and holler at their kids throughout the whole game, mm-hmm. where he rarely ever got off the bench. Right. Uh, and so, And I look at that and say, well, if you're practicing right, why can't they play the way they practice? Uh, and so the thing that I probably admire the most about John Wooden is you listen to Bill Walton or people that have played for him and their respect of him, not just as a coach, but as a person. And the godly values he taught them about life is what to me is, is amazing of all how his f- former players admire him and respect him. To this day, yeah. To this day, yeah. Yeah, he lived to be 99 years old, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's an amazing guy, like an Abraham, the winningest coach in college basketball history. Um, any other current coaches that you admire? Boy, I haven't, I, nobody's asked me that for a long time. Um, I really, uh, I think the struggle today is um, many, many what I would say is great Christian coaches today that I may have admired, they're probably out of work because their their company or their pro team or their college wasn't concerned about their Christian values. They're more concerned about winning and losing. Yeah. And so some of some great godly men uh, are unemployed because they didn't win enough. Yeah. So CCV, you you started with one campus, and then you got to your mega campus. What were some of the challenges of building your big campus in Peoria? Uh, I I think, uh, in in my experience in ministry, there's two, uh, I'll say, problems, challenges that that never go away. That's hiring the right staff and raising the funds to expand. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the biggest challenges is uh, we were at a school, a Deer Valley High School, running four services, running out of space. And our people, we found 40 acres of land, and uh, 
we fasted and prayed, didn't bring in an outside fundraising group, and our people gave $1 million cash on one day to buy the land, which back in 1996 was kind of unheard of in the country. And that was a phenomenal uh, faith boost for our church to believe that God really can do more than we can ask or imagine if Mm -hmm. if we'll turn over to his power. And so you bought 40 acres. Now, you've also had to, I'm sure, deal with naysayers, right? Like, we don't need that much land, or that's too far out on the west side. How do you respond when people are, are challenge you in, in your vision? Believe it or not, the biggest challenge I had was not from the people in our church. It was from other pastors. Really? Most of the other pastors told me I was crazy to try and do that. But uh, most of the people had been with me for 15 years, and they'd seen God work in those different things. So they said, never heard of this, but let's go for it. Amen and amen. My guest is Don Wilson from CCB. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley talking with my friend Don Wilson from CCV. Don, you made the move. You got the the land and then the architect and built the building, the biggest church building probably that's ever been developed in this state. Um, And then God did something. What happened? I don't know. (laughs) It just, uh, we put up a tent and uh, we moved from the school to a a tent that seated about a thousand. And I can honestly say the greatest growth of our church has not taken place in the new bigger facility, but it was in the tent. We really? went, we went from one to six services, three on Saturday and three on Sunday. And just the energy, uh, there, uh, was incredible. And that taught me a lot about the whole idea of momentum, mm-hmm. uh, for pastors out there that their church is maybe not growing. I say to them, if your church is not growing, you're not as bad as you think you are. And if your church is growing well, you're probably not as good as you think you are. Because once momentum is going, it's like in anything, it'll carry you for a while. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you lose momentum, it takes a long time to get that energy right. going right. again. So you have to watch that. Um, six services. So you've got grace to be able to do those services without totally burning out. Talk to us about how you pace yourself on a weekend when you're um, now you don't do six now you do what five or uh, well we we have we we have video to all of our campuses so I only do three out of five live okay but even three is takes a lot out of you I've done three many times um, but it takes a lot out of you talk to us about how you stay personally healthy with those kinds of demands um, I think I'm a little unusual, and I'm going to probably say it might be due to my farm upbringing. Uh, I have an incredible amount of energy for mm-hmm. my age. So I'm unlike a lot of senior pastors, most senior pastors, this might catch your listeners off guard, I find most senior pastors are introverted. Mm-hmm. People drain them. 
Right. I'm the opposite. People energize me. So even though preaching six times or three times is draining uh, between services, I'm outside greeting people. And where that depletes most pastors, that energizes me. That's wonderful. That's really neat. So that is quite different. Now, do you enjoy social circumstances, parties or whatever? I don't go to a lot of them, but but yeah, any place there's people, I'm energized by people. Um, Okay, so one thing that a lot of pastors of smaller churches don't understand, they get frustrated with big church pastors because you're not at all their events. They don't understand the kind of pressure that you're under week in and week out, the demands, the opportunities, the privileges, but also the challenges, the crises. Talk to us about the pressure that a megachurch pastor feels. Um, I, I think a lot of it depends on whether you have been on TV and whether you've written a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when, you, when you're more visible nationally, it changes everything. And what probably CCV is the largest church in America that very few people know about. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with that because it's all about the Lord anyway. But because I haven't written a book, I'm not on TV. I've turned a lot of those things down. I get requests every week to do that. I've turned those down so that I could just give my intention to building the local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but, but the pressures are there. People have no idea the requests we get for money from uh, parachurch organizations, the requests that I get to go nationally and speak or do different things. And I've just chosen pretty much to turn almost all those down and just try to stay at home and build and build the church. And God's honored that in a special way. Um, do you have any regrets? Uh, no, one of my, one of my slogans is sorrow looks back, worry looks around, faith looks ahead. And so I, I, even though I might have regrets, I don't look back and think, think about that. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say, so I'm not misunderstood, people like Max Lucado, Rick Warren that have written books and have worldwide ministries, praise God for them. I am so thankful that God has used them. I've just chosen to go a different way, and, and God's honored that too. Right, right. And you've stayed within the grace you've got without feeling like you have to prove yourself. Yeah. And uh, it is it is sort of funny, though, because CCV probably is the biggest church in America that hasn't been heard about or acclaimed. I mean, I, I've seen you on a magazine cover, but it's that's probably infrequent, right? Yeah, I'm not sure what magazine that it was. It was like church executive <laughs> or something. Yeah, like. yeah. But, but I'm okay with that because uh-huh. I think as I transition out of ministry after 35 years, I think it's easier for my successor because what I've really tried to do is the, build a ministry – on the Lord, so do all churches, mm-hmm. but build it on the vision rather than the personality. Because the danger is the larger a church grows, the more it becomes uh, vulnerable to one personality. And right. I don't think that's healthy long term. So the real measure of success will be how does the church transition? I mean, I, I, on one hand, it's too late to not be fruitful. You've been fruitful. So the transition will depend a lot about the grace and competence of the next generation. But you're, you've handed them something that's a wonderful, wonderful legacy. Yeah, hope, hopefully. And I, and I think that's where John Maxwell, or maybe he got it from somebody else, there's no success without a successor. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, again, nothing against other pastors, but I've been there 35 years. My name's not on anything, and I don't want it to be on anything because— uh, Sorrow looks back, worry looks around. Let's let's keep reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. Um, tell us about um, your succession plan. What what are you going to hopefully focus on a year from now when you're more of a free agent than you are today? Uh, in reality, 
uh, a lot of what I've been doing all of my 50 years of ministry. I, I grew up in a little church of 100, and I said, Lord, if you bless my ministry, I'll always have time for pastors of small churches. Mm-hmm. So I probably meet with two to three pastors every week. I, I've been doing that for years. And uh, my wife and I are st- will start a ministry called Accelerate Group where basically we're going to work with churches, but pastors and specifically wives. We have found that probably the, the most discouraged person that people are not really thinking about is the pastor's wife. Right. And so we're getting together resources and people that believe in that, and that's something my wife and I will do together. How can we love on them, encourage them? Because I read a statistic recently that 85% of pastors stop doing ministry, drop out of the ministry in the first five years, which is poor stewardship. So we feel like if we can save a pastor's marriage, help them stay in the ministry, it has exponential dividends for the kingdom. So that's something we kind of want to really do. Wonderful. Now, how do you envision that? Uh, Meeting with small groups of pastors, meeting one-on-one, doing retreats, what are some of the components? Uh, all of those you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's one-on-one. Uh, it's, it's uh, for example, in October, we brought some pastors into Phoenix, paid for their hotel, their meals, gave them $100 for a date night, just loved on them, gave them gifts. And we basically said, you determine the agenda. We're not. They put up things they wanted to talk about. And then I had some couples from our church with me, and we basically just loved on them and prayed for them. That's wonderful. Uh, found out that a lot of them had never been to the Holy Land. So I'm taking a group of pastors to Israel this this year. And so we'll just kind of find out what are their needs. Yeah. And uh, in fact, we found out that the pastors that are church planters, uh, they haven't been uh, discouraged enough yet. And their wife and they are just in it together and they're yeah. excited. The other hand, we had a group of pastors that are taking over large churches and for the first time, their wife is saying, what do I do when my friends leave? That yeah. sort of thing. And then probably the group that breaks my heart is the largest group, I think, of pastors are those churches, I'm going to say, 250 to 1,000. They're not written up in newspapers. They're not invited to speak at conferences. And many of these men and women have been preaching 30, 40, 50 years, and nobody's ever encouraged them. And yeah. that's a real burden that I have for that that group of pastors That's as well. wonderful. That's awesome. Um, my guest is Don Wilson from CCV, and he's going to make a transition this next year. You've told the church about it. What was the response of the church? Well, they liked it too well. They, they, they said, <laughs> said, said, said it's about it. time you get out of here. Uh, Tell uh, us about your successor, too. Okay. Um, uh, I, I have a great team, and one of the things that, that we have done to be a little different, I've had a, a teaching team for about five years. Uh, we also, in all of our campuses, we have our worship pastors rotate. So you never know who's going to preach. You never know who's going to be leading worship. So it's not built on the personality. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yes. And so I had a young man that had been on my team and uh, he started, he's a great, he has a great gift of leadership. He hadn't communicated that much. And so the more opportunities that we gave him to speak, the more we realized he had a gift in that area as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, I started uh, turning the hiring over to the rest of the team. A year ago, I turned the leadership of the staff over to him. And then this year I announced in uh, February that I would be transitioning uh, officially at the end of October. And so this year also, I cut my preaching in half and doubled his. So he'll be preaching 24 times. I'll be preaching 12. The other uh, teaching team pastor will preach about 12. And so just intentionally trying to uh, slowly 
I guess what John the Baptist and Jesus, I've, I must decrease so he can yeah, increase. Yeah. So that's what I've tried to do. And, and what do you envision your role being at CCV two years from now? I will not be there. Uh, one of the things that, that, that we both agreed on is uh, trying to look at a lot of churches. I think one thing that sometimes is difficult when the founding pastor stays around. Yeah. It's difficult for his successor to lead. And so uh, we've agreed intentionally. Um, uh, when I step away, I, I won't go to CCV at all for like six months to a year. And, and then uh, I might come back and visit one of the campuses on a consistent basis. But that is intentional so that the church's loyalty... Um, can, really makes can a transition. rally around yeah. him. That that because yeah. that that I think that's huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In our transition, I I'm still there, primarily because I've known David since he was one years old, and he is secure enough with me that he can say no. Yeah, and that's hard though for me. I mean, I I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Um, but it's absolutely essential, and that's not easy with guys like us that aren't that lightweight, right? Well, I think. Because uh, I have found I, I don't have a middle gear. I'm either all on or all off. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I have to uh, find something else. Uh, as we were talking, I think it's not what you retire from. It's what you retire to. Yeah. And yeah. so the fact that my wife and I have a ministry to pour into, plus my two daughters, all three of my kids are in the ministry. And mm-hmm. my, my son's in a college, Christian college now teaching and coaching. And my two son-in-laws, ironically enough, are pastors of the first two churches we started in in uh, Fountain Hills and Flagstaff. Oh, really? So we'll be able to go visit those churches as well. And oh, yeah, so, that's so, wonderful. So God, God's been really good. My guest is Don Wilson from CCV, and um, I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. I'm Mark Buckley. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. My guest is Don Wilson from CCV. Um, Don, you built one of the greatest churches in America, and you've had a philosophy about reaching men, an unapologetic commitment to men. Uh, could you explain that to us? Uh, well, my, uh, I think one reason it was, was uh, important to me is my dad, my mom and dad, as I said, were both godly people, but my dad was my spiritual hero. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the impact of a, of a godly dad on our whole family. All of my family are Christ followers. And, and like I said, uh, seven grandkids are, are Christ followers because they saw my mom and dad's faith. But I read a statistic once that was saying something to, pretty close to this. If the child accepts Christ first, like 8% of the time the whole family comes to Christ. If the mother accepts Christ first, and there's all kinds of godly mothers that, mm-hmm. are, that are going alone to church, and I want to keep encouraging them. But it jumps to a little over 20%. But if the dad accepts Christ, over 90% of the time, the whole family comes. And so I, in the ministry, probably like you, I've saw a lot of times where a mother would come with her kids. When those boys get about junior high, if dad's not there and he's out playing golf. Say goodbye to him. So I'm going to go do what dad's doing. And so we intentionally said, we're not trying to exclude women but we're going to put a real emphasis on trying to reach the man because we believe it'll help us uh, get more of the family. So you're intentional and God's honored it. And what percentage of men do you have at CCV? Do you have any idea? I don't know. 
But uh, it's it's it, you don't look around and see a pride primarily female. No, church. no, it's it's a very significant. Yeah, uh-huh. we have about seven thousand volunteers every weekend that do ministry in our church, and uh, the larger percentage, believe it or not, would be men. You've also simplified church in a lot of ways, right? I mean, you don't have a hundred different programs going on. What are your main meat and potatoes things that you expect believers to be involved in? We really, uh, there's there's about five or six things, but w- we believe that today in an urban culture like the Valley, uh, time is their most valuable commodity. And so I think too many churches, they have a lot of programs and the people might pick and choose programs, but they might pick the ones that aren't really necessary for discipleship. And so what we've said is make worship a priority, public and your personal mm-hmm. worship. Uh, serve, because I believe uh, if you have a servant heart, you're more like Jesus. And thirdly, get connected in a group of other believers where mm-hmm. you can grow together studying the Bible and have a place to invite your friends and, and uh, live out your faith. So, so you those have are home the groups. three things. You have a lot of home groups. Correct. And are those focusing on sermons you guys have preached, or what's the the focus of your home group? Uh, they've done a lot of different things. Some of them have, some of them do the sermon. Some of them do uh, uh, videos that we produce that they mm-hmm. can discuss. I'm a fan of opening the Bible and taking a book of the Bible and working through it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our groups do that as well. The group I'm involved in, we're going through the Gospel of Mark right now. Wonderful. Um, Don, what do you see as some of the primary challenges facing the church in America? Well, I think uh, one of the f- phrases I've used is now the church is the visiting team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and for most pastors, we were trained in seminary that we were the home team, mm-hmm. which everybody liked us. Now there's a lot of bad press about Christians and the church. And so we have to change our paradigm. How do you do, how do you do church when people don't like you? So that's why I believe working through local schools, serving the community, doing nothing, uh, doing everything, expecting nothing in return. We've got to show them how much we care about them instead of how much we know. That would be the one. We're the visiting team. Yeah. I think secondly, um, we live in a culture today that values tolerance over truth, and we cannot compromise truth or we're no longer the church, but we've got to figure out how we can uh, speak the truth in a, in a loving way that doesn't become offensive to people because today most Christians are known for what we're against. Yeah. So, so how do we share the truth but do it in a way that um, is inviting? That, that's very, it's going to be a very difficult challenge in the future. It is. And a lot of churches, I think, are caving to the um, immoral agenda of our culture in the name of love. You know what I mean? If you, if you mess up, what love is, you're really messing with who God is because yeah. God's love is holy, it's righteous, it's, yeah. it's truth that endures through generations. Yeah, Jesus was loving, but he wasn't tolerant. Yeah. He said, I'm yeah. the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way. Well, that's not a very tolerant statement, but he still was loving of everyone that was different from he was. Yeah. And so that's what we've got to do. We, we, got, we can't compromise, but we can't give in to a world of tolerance because if we do that, the, the, the culture will collapse. And so I, I, I'm praying for the younger pastors because— uh, You're going to have big challenges. They, they have a lot bigger challenges than, than I think I had when I started ministry. So let's talk for just a minute about unity in the body of Christ because we are on the same team, but a lot of times it seems like it's—pastors uh, have a hard time recognizing authority or, or coming together under other leadership. That's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, because um, 
I've always said we all say we want the kingdom to grow, but we don't want other kingdoms too close to our kingdom to grow, <laughs> you know. And, and I think what helped me with that more than anything was training leaders around the world who were in the minority in their culture. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in other cultures, the denominational churches get together because they're such a minority. Yeah. They're not going to fight over the things that we fight over in the United States. They're going to say, hey, Jesus is Lord. The Bible is true. How can we work together? Yeah. And I think it's going to get to that point. If we don't come together, we're all going to die separately is really what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and we do have some big challenges. And, and uh We've got an adversary looking to yeah. to take advantage of that. So we just have a couple minutes left. What what are some of the things you'd like to let our n- listeners know about? Uh, I would say pray for your pastor and his wife. <laughs> if you go to a church, you know, uh, pray for them because you you have no idea the pressure that that they're under. And what means more to me anything than anything is not when people come up to me and say I liked your sermon is when they say pastor we're praying for you and your wife. So really be prayer warriors even behind the scenes uh, for your pastor um and and do everything you can uh to encourage churches to work together. And for pastors that are listening, I would say we got some great churches in this valley. We got some great young pastors. And I would say I would encourage you to try and reach out and build relationships with others because together we're much stronger for the Lord than uh, than by ourselves. Because if the church can't get along, we have no witness to the world either. Right. Uh, and so, um, so we're not really being disciples if we don't love each other, yeah, are we? Yeah. But I, I think the, I think the harvest is ripe, even though about ninety percent of people in Phoenix don't go to church. I, I think I think as we have more persecution toward Christians, it's going to be the greatest time to be a, a Christian because everything I've seen around the world, persecution makes the church thrive and the church grow. But most of us don't want that. But we're probably going to need that a little bit more for us to find out really who do we believe and what does our faith really mean to us. Yeah, well, I was thinking about there was a bombing in Egypt. And for people to show up in church in a country where a bomb could go off in your sanctuary, that takes real faith, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm afraid most Americans would stay home and watch it on their iPad. iPad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is not the same. It's, no. We're not called to be uh, just connected in technology. We're called to assemble together, to worship together, connect, to love one another. So um, what are your hopes for CCV in the years to come? Oh, I believe I believe uh, the sky's the limit. I, I think uh, we've had the best year we've ever had uh, uh, last year, uh, in fact, we were look. Last year, we baptized 700 people on Easter. What? What was this? Wow. Just incredible. And so, uh, really, we're reaching more people than we've ever reached. The church is united, and uh, we're just praying uh, for Ashley, our success, my successor, and the team we put in place. And we just believe God's God's got great things ahead. As long as uh, I said recently, three things: we stay holy, we stay hungry, and we stay humble. It's all about Jesus, and we've really got to keep the focus on him. What are the challenges of multiple campuses? Uh, uh, it's, it's way more difficult 
because I think when it, uh, when you have one campus, it's pretty easy to manage. Mm-hmm. But when you go multi-sites, it's all of a sudden like you're a franchise. Mm-hmm. How, do, how does every campus, even though they're in different parts of the city, look and feel the same? And that takes a whole different level of, of leadership. It's much more complex mm-hmm. than I thought. And that's why I think as a church gets complex, what we've tried to do is keep it simple. Because if you don't, the complexity will really overwhelm you and get you off target from your initial uh, vision and values of Regent and, City. And tell us some of the benefits of multi-campus. Well, uh, believe it or not, the, some of the benefits is it's more cost-effective. Mm-hmm. Because once you you put the program together and you do it right— So you can uh, have one accounting department and one senior pastor. And, one video, I mean, uh, all that. You, you can say the one product and reproduce it seven mm-hmm. times versus trying to have to— reproduce uh, instead of multiply it seven times in seven totally different mm-hmm. churches now for for me one of the hardest hires to make is a really good executive pastor some of our listeners are business executives they make a lot of money as business executives how do you get somebody like that to say i want to do this for jesus uh the majority of our staff now are from within our church from the corporate world and they have to feel God calling them. We've found out two or three things that we weren't we weren't aware of that we have to make them aware of. One would be you're going to get paid less mm-hmm. than what you got. So that's a change in your income. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, uh, when my wife and I went into ministry, we both were in high school when we felt God called us. So when we got married, we both were planning on going to ministry. If you're, a, let's say, a man and in mid-career you decide to go into ministry, you better make sure your wife feels that calling as well. Because we have found about six months in when we hire corporate people that are pastors, uh, they struggle because for the first time they don't have any weekends free. Yeah. And so even even though they were faithful in our church and committed members, they still had the luxury to be out of town whenever they wanted to. And most of our pastors don't have that. So those are some of the adjustments they're going to have to make. And um, what do you do to keep your staff loving each other in, in a, a healthy corporate culture uh, we got to learn how to play together uh, rejoice together because because the pressure never quits the, you, you keep growing and the demands are always there so and I'm not good at celebrating so I have to learn to do that more mm-hmm. but just how we got to play together pray together have fun together rejoice together those sorts of things my guest is Don Wilson I hope you've enjoyed this interview we'll be right back to wrap up after these messages you've enjoyed this interview. My guest is Don Wilson. Don, we have time for one closing thought. What's on your heart? You know, I I really uh, feel like God called me to Phoenix in 75 to help impact this valley for Jesus Christ. And uh, God's been good, but we just got a long way to go. Uh, We're one of the most unchurched cities in America. And so my heart is always for lost people. And so I would encourage our our listeners, uh, get to know your neighbors. 
uh, spend time with them, eat together, uh, do something to build a relationship. Because really what you've got to do is hear their story. And once you hear their story, you can share your story. And then maybe as you listen to each other's story, you'll have a chance to share his story about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And maybe that could be the thing that opens up their heart a little bit and they realize that that void they've always been missing really is uh, Jesus Christ. And so uh, I would encourage you, pray for your neighbors, get to know your neighbors, and uh, we can change this city for Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And if you're looking for a good church, how do they find CCV? Uh, They can go, uh, they can haul down one of those cars that has a sticker on it <laughs> that probably is driving too fast and say, hey, where is that? But they could go online and, and, and find out our campuses and our services. And right now you're in, what? just name your locations. Uh, we're in uh, Surprise, Anthem, uh, Peoria, Phoenix, Midtown, the East Valley, uh, Avondale, and the next campus we're opening up will be in Chandler uh, later on this year. Wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah. And to everybody else, find a good church. Any, yeah. any good church you go And if you say it wasn't a good church, keep going to churches until you find a good one where you can get involved and bring your friends. Don, thank you very much. Thank you. God bless you. My guest has been Don Wilson, one of the great founding pastors of this valley. He's left a legacy. We need to build on it. We need to work together. As Don said, 90% of the people aren't going to church anywhere. We're not in competition with one another. We're called to bring in a harvest, and the harvest is ripe. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. Thanks for being with us today. God bless you.